Hello, hello. Welcome back to a new series of the Burning Eye podcast. I'm your host, Bridget Hart. Um, I'm also the editor at Burning Eye Books, the largest publisher of spoken word, performance poetry, stand-up and slam in the UK. Um, I am really, really excited to kick off our 2022 poetry list, which is also our 10th year of publishing, which is pretty brilliant to be honest. I feel very happy to have made it this far Um, and once again a very big shout out to everybody who has been donating to our crowdfunder to help us keep afloat after Covid had uh, depleted all of our resources. Um, So it's great to be back for our new series. Um, This week I'm going to be interviewing the very very cool Ibizo Lamy about her debut collection Chosen Family. Adapted from the Spoken Word Show, Chosen Family by Abizo Lamy is a raw but gentle story of recovery and strength. Set in the waiting room to Dr Unicorn's office, Abizo reflects on the instances that have knocked them down and built them back up again. Through emotionally charged poems and monologues, we start to unpick the importance of boundaries, love and expression in the quest to recover the body from trauma. We meet friends and concepts along the way that shape Ibizo's journey to finding their chosen family. Kamina Mass-Oliver writes, Ibizo critically analyses our use of distraction and comes out with a sharp-tongued witticism that makes you laugh out loud, yet also pack a punch as they cleverly intersect a dissection of class and race. The narrative with Dr Unicorn is peppered with poems that blend together the past with the present. In this collection, maybe you will find a piece of yourself, as I did. Zimbabwean-born Ibizo Lamy uses multi-mediums to celebrate their personal experiences and identity. Some core themes in their work are motivations for positive mental health and love of good food. Ibizo is the founder and organiser for Self-Care Saturdays, an online event that discusses the nourishment of the mind, body and spirit. They are a former co-host of She Growls, a feminist art night in London, and a regular feature at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Ibizo has performed at multiple poetry events across the country, including That's What We Said and Spoken Word London. Ibizo has completed a run of Chosen Family at the Brighton Fringe Festival, which has been adapted here for the page by Burning Eye Books. As always, we hope you enjoy the episode, kick back with a nice cuppa and enjoy! Hello, hello, Ibizo! Hello. Hello. How's it going, Bridget? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Um, uh, on the previous series of the uh, podcast, um, I would comment on the weather, but I'm not. I'm not really going to do that. Um, <laughs> um, today I ate some pancakes. They were blueberry. They would. Um, what have you eaten today? Anything nice? Um, I have had a sandwich with pesto and ham and cheese and brown bread. I feel like saying brown bread makes it sound more wholesome. <laughs> Do you know what? I feel like putting pesto in sandwiches is really underrated. Right? Yeah. It's like, I love butter, but okay, I'm that type of person who I have to melt my butter slightly before putting it on a sandwich or else it shreds the bread. But... This time I was like, I've got a pesto in the fridge. I don't have to be doing that. So yeah, it just makes brown bread just taste better. <laughs> it definitely does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so nice to have you on um, the episode today, our first episode of 2022. Yeah. 
Today we're going to be talking about your new book, Chosen Family, um, which is Burning Eye's first title of the year um, and our first of our 10th year of publishing as well, which is very, very exciting. Um, I'm actually holding it in my hand and I feel really bad about it because Ibiza doesn't have their copies yet. <laughs> but they <laughs> well, will. I'm getting them tomorrow. I'm getting yeah. them tomorrow. <laughs> what I can tell you is that it has that signature burning eye cover like smooth cover everyone always comments on on the quality of our covers and about how nice they are so i just thought i'd describe to everyone that they're very smooth anyway <laughs> i cannot wait to hold them myself <laughs> so we had just been uh briefly before we uh press record we were briefly um just thinking back on the very beginnings of chosen family because chosen family is um a spoken word show that you developed um, for Brighton Fringe. It came out last yeah. year, the show, did it? Yes, so last year in August, I want to say, or July, I'm mixing the months. Um, in the summertime, yes, it was a 40 minute show. Um, it was just audio and um, I've forgotten the name of it, but it was recorded in this way where it kind of felt like someone was speaking to you. Um, rather than it being record, recorded on a stationary mic, it um, there were parts where like just your left ear could hear or like parts where just your right ear could hear or parts where like you felt like someone was talking in front of you. So that was quite a fun way to play with the audio like that. Yeah, there were definitely like a couple of things that are going on in the last few years of like really exciting audio for spoken word stuff. Um, yes. And uh, you, yes, Chosen Family was one of those things. And I have a, re a recording of it that I got from the Brighton Fringe. Um, and yeah, it just really pops, mate. Really pops. Thank it's really, you. really good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, but before that, Chosen Family was was really just a collection of poems that you that you were sort of developing. Um, and uh, outside of Burning Eye, I am a freelance editor and, and you and I work together on, on these poems in, in the very beginning. Yes. Um, uh, what um, motivated you to work with an editor? Um, well, I don't know if you've read my acknowledgements. Um, I originally, because I do just do performance, like spoken word for performance, um, I just wanted to write a show really celebrating the people in my life um it's I don't know like I feel really grateful for having accumulated so many people who care for me especially since when I was younger I didn't have that so I just wanted to like challenge myself to do a way to like celebrate them because um I am trained as a visual artist so in the past I've painted portraits of people and this time I was like let me do that in like poetry form let me see if I can like capture them by like poems and um I remember performing I think some of the poems at um I think now it is called that's what they said that's oh what that's we what said. we said yeah that's what we said yeah so um, I remember performing there and um, the host, Paul, um, who is friends with Bridget, um, was like, hey, like, I heard you saying you're writing a new collection. Do you have an editor? And I was like, no, not really. But I would like someone who can tell me if the things I'm writing do make sense. So Paul connected me to Bridget. And yeah, that's how we began. And that was in 2019. So we worked together 
think throughout like the first quarantine as well. Yeah, and I remember some, until, some yeah. intense editing sessions in the first, yeah. in the first lockdown, yeah. yeah. <laughs> first ones where you'd be like, um, what are you trying to say here? And everyone would be like, isn't it obvious? <laughs> I think that's the great thing about working with an editor is that they can literally be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I know that you, this might make sense to you, but I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It was, no, I do value that experience because I, I've never worked with an editor before. I've never, um, yeah, aside from like teachers and tutors with assess, like essays, I have never worked with an editor like for creative writing. So it was a fun process. I'm not going to lie. It was, yeah, it was really good. And I really liked your input as well for certain things where you'd be like, well, if you're trying to go for this route, maybe like structure it this way, or maybe use these words, or maybe do that, and I'll do it, and I'll be like, yeah, it works. Like, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I. One of the things that I remember very clearly about it was the really overarching sense of um, soul searching and love. Um, I can like really tell that you were coming from a place of of love, um, and like you sort of briefly mentioned earlier about not feeling that sort of when you were younger yeah. and then like using art as a way to connect yourself to people and to affirm your relationship with those people as well um, yeah. and that's what really really motivated me to work with you as an editor because I, I saw like so so many like overarching relatable things that I think a lot of people can relate to especially yeah. the concept of chosen family um, yeah. which a lot of queer working class non-white people yeah they find don't they you know families are very yes. conventional and and different um yeah whilst at the same time having this overarching sort of um surreal almost journey with with dr unicorn who is yeah. um our sort of centralized <laughs> anchor of of the book everything goes back to dr unicorn um yeah uh, what, what what sort of motivated you to i mean where did the name dr unicorn come from so um i should explain i live in epsom um i've lived in epsom since 2002 when my mom moved us from zimbabwe and um i don't know if i've had the same gp but certainly from like after uni i've had the same gp and um he is the sweetest kindest man ever like he is just so beautiful as a human being and he's our family GP so like it's not just that he's like that with me he's like that with everyone and even with his colleagues as well when they like notice that he's my GP they're like oh we really like him and I remember one time as well like I don't know what was wrong with me but I'd, I think I was having like really bad chest pains which it coincides with like anxiety but my GP was like, okay, like, since you're having chest pains, let's book you in for like a cardiologist just to make sure there's nothing sinister happening. And of course we can like put you on like anxiety medication. And I remember telling this story to my friend who was like, you know, your GP sounds like a unicorn because first of all, like she wasn't able to find like GP appointments like I was able to her GPs wouldn't listen to her um, if she did go in with a mental health problem they'll just like be like yeah it's just all in 
holding your head basically like yeah have more medication but the fact that my GP like listened to me and like took time to really understand where I was coming from my friend was like yeah your GP sounds like a unicorn so when I was writing the poetry I was like Dr Unicorn like yeah yeah he's very he takes his time with you like and I know it's not that great with GPs because I think now they have like 10 minutes per person yeah um but it really doesn't feel that way when you're speaking to him because he basically wants to cover all his bases to make sure that you're okay and yeah yeah and I think that's so much of the so much of the mental health journey as well isn't it is finding people that make you feel safe and validated and then yeah. uh, what form that or, or who they are or what they they may be in um and yeah. yeah throughout the book dr unicorn is definitely this anchoring character for you to to not only ground you after a poem finishes but also to um uh, introduce you to the concepts that we find throughout the book um, definitely which is yeah, yeah really nice and yeah like you say like the they're very hard to find good gps especially when it comes to yeah. your mental health and stuff so yeah um, yeah it's very nice to have a, a character, a positive mental health, a positive sort of medical professional in that way represented um, in the book. Definitely. Um, but also does yeah. sound like an actual unicorn in a lab coat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I probably should say that I do say in the book that it's probably inappropriate to say this, but I feel like he's been a father figure for me because I have never had such in-depth conversations with an adult male. Okay, mm. I know I was an adult, but like an adult or adult. Um, and it's like, we've had conversations that I feel I should have had with my dad, my biological dad or stepdad, mm. but those conversations never happened because I think for like, with like tradition or culture or, whatever it was but um yeah I was able to have those conversations and just gain knowledge that I should have gained in my family home in a GP surgery yeah 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 I feel that a lot (laughs) (laughs) so what um I know you talked about earlier about how you are a visual artist um and you were doing um paintings of people what um got you onto the stage what was um what how did you find your way into poetry and the spoken word scene? So um, I have to explain that I have a schizoaffective disorder, um, which is a mood disorder with like psychosis from time to time. And I actually have it to thank for <laughs> doing spoken word poetry. Um, I was in my last year of university studying woven textiles. And um, it came a point where I was writing my dissertation and my dissertation, like the title was um, all design should follow nature. Like just like I thought, yeah, like people haven't been designing like nature because they didn't know, you know, but now we know you got to design like things that are sustainable and not just one use. Of course, this is me being naive (laughs) because capitalism. So. The more research I did, the more it became apparent that, yeah, people have, like, designers have been knowing that the best way to design is, like, nature. But when you bring capitalism into it, like, no one 
wants to design a product that's going to last forever because how else are you going to make more money and um I feel like that's where my mental health started deteriorating because of course it's third year there's like a lot of pressures and stresses and I started just um going off tangents in my research to the point where I was doing research on colonization and like just a lot and um as Zimbabweans as well we don't really talk much about colonization and like kind of like big things that happened like a whole genocide um after Zimbabwe gained independence so I was really like unraveling and by chance I found um this like deaf poetry jam videos on YouTube <laughs> so, like, I like the fact that we've spoken with poetry you could jump from topic to topic to topic and kind of like yeah like weave it all together like based on the feeling on the emotion like you could literally just ramble and it would make sense and that's how I started like just writing a lot of writing a lot about the research that I discovered and doing that and um of course a lot of like <laughs> the confidence <laughs> was like psychosis and manic episodes but once I did get better, I did still hold on to the fact that I was able to express myself really well through poetry. And I did start um, writing more. And I think the first time I performed as well was in the Netherlands because I lived in the Netherlands straight after uni. And um, yeah, I had my first real life performance there. And it was nice. Like, but yeah, I've always carried poetry with me like since then it's yeah so uh, that's really interesting like how does um how does uh, a dutch uh, um poetry night hold up against um a london one i want to know <laughs> okay so a dutch poetry night um well i only went to three um the first one was in a church and um it had a picture like a flag a rainbow flag and then peace in dutch um just full of hippies but like i feel like dutch hippies are not as pretentious as london hippies like, <laughs> they're quite cool <laughs> no come on we have to talk about the pretentiousness in london because it be doing the most for no reason um, but yeah Dutch is quite calm um there's some poems in German some poems in Dutch um of course then you'd need an interpreter like someone who speaks the language to be like explaining the like poem to you yeah but um it was yeah it was fun it was calm um also I have to say it was in the north part of the Netherlands so it wasn't in Amsterdam um and it was a student town as well when we're all really young I think I was like 22 so yeah but they were quite nice I kind of feel like the Dutch really they champion the arts even though there aren't as many opportunities as there are in London when people come to support they really want to support so I wish that it was more like that in London because you'd be able to earn a better living in the creative sector if like more people had that attitude. But um, I think with London, it's, oh, another thing, people found it, I don't know, I guess it was like exotic 
because I'm black and I have a British accent. So it will be this like, oh my gosh, you're British. And I'll be like, well, not really. Like, and <laughs> <laughs> like British people can tell that I'm not British, but of course the Dutch people, I sound like I'm British, which um, yeah, I, I found it weird. Cause again, it is like, mm, you're a black person. You're not um, like manifesting in a stereotype that we, thought but um I don't think it was malicious on their part but it did make me feel weird but London I guess there's more banter because there's more cultural references like we share similar cultural references um and it's more I feel like there's more passion as well in the London poetry scene there's more anger there's more just I feel like also as well, like you mentioned, being working class, being like for marginalized groups, there being more black and brown people. I think there's more people that are not content with the way the world is. So there is, yeah, like more passion, more like, I'm not happy with this, like with yeah. the state of affairs. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, Londoners have a lot to be angry about because they live in London. So. True. <laughs> I know. I'm, to, to all of our London listeners, I'm totally joking. Um, London has some excellent parks, if you can find them. <laughs> and if you can climb over the fences to get to them. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I just want to, I want to um, go back to the book a little bit um, and, mm -hmm. you know, some concepts that you were talking about there about um, uh, being a black person with mental health problems um, yeah. um, and how little that is championed in, in, in the world in terms of people um, talking about it and, in, and getting behind those ideas. And yeah, why Clive and I really wanted to publish this book is because it is so explicitly about um, um, systematic mental health issues and and going through and existing in a system um, as a black person experiencing adverse mental health um, issues, which is not talked about enough, yeah. especially in poetry, I think as well. Definitely. Um, um, oh, sorry, were you? I can't. No, I was it. just going to say, you know, uh, obviously, a lot of the time, poetry in, um, in, is informed by the way that we. Um, sort of lived our lives and I just kind of wanted to ask what the effect of this writing had on you like in terms of like your ability to um, conquer a sense of your own narrative here you know how was yeah. that you know was that an important part of, of putting the book together was to have that narrative for you definitely I mean I don't know if this is a toxic trait or not but I in my mind, I always think I'm not suffering trauma for anything. I might as well be getting paid for it. So, <laughs> yeah, a traumatic um, experience. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, this is going into the art, like creative, like this. I'm gonna get paid. Like either way, this like it's not just. Yeah, I think I've known, not I've known, but from a young age, I've always kept a journal a diary and written down everything that happens to me and what I'm thinking and stuff and that's always fed into my artwork but um yeah I think of course it was just little things in the beginning like crushes that I felt embarrassed about or like puberty 
but um after like my first psychotic episode I realized I was experiencing things that other people will never get a chance to experience um that it as much as my mental illness has been a negative in my life it also has been a positive like I wanted to I guess as well like talk about the good things that I have gotten from it like I honestly I feel like if I hadn't had this mental illness I would have been successful but also cancelled like I would probably yeah like because I am an overachiever and things like emotional maturity or like emotional intelligence I didn't even know what those were so you can imagine where I was at like I just yeah and I think having these experiences with my mental health it helped like it humbled me first of all (laughs) like just humbled humbled me and it allowed me to get help for a lot of traumatic experiences I'd had when I was younger Mm. it allowed me to build better bonds with people to like gain much more like nurturing connections with others um but saying that it has been very traumatic like I think it wasn't until my third psychotic episode that I was hospitalized um the first two times it was people could see I was really unwell but no one did anything um I have to reference Kanye West now because I was moving like Kanye West during a manic episode Mm. and rather than people be like hey maybe it's time to see a doctor or it's time to go to the hospital people be like oh my god look at that crazy black girl like she's doing this and saying this and it like it saddens me that no one in my life at that time thought to be like hey let's take you to the hospital which when I hear about other people's experiences um who are not black like their family and friends could tell automatically hey something is not right and I don't know whether that's because amongst like white people because I think it's within like black and brown communities where it's such a stigma to have a mental illness but certainly from like white people experiences they have been able to like people have noticed that things were going wrong and gotten them to the hospital a lot quicker than compared to black or brown people like particularly black people um another thing as well is if you do go to the hospital there aren't that many black doctors first of all there aren't a lot of black doctors who understand your culture so um a lot of the things that like the criteria you have to fit for like a diagnosis or to be sanctioned it's like behaviors that they deem like normal or like this is part of your mental illness yeah. so like I've heard stories of like black guys who when their friends came to visit them in hospital would talk a lot louder and be laughing and be referencing things and just cracking up and the doctors who are not from that culture would look at that and be like oh they're still in a manic state where it's like yeah. 
yeah, if yeah, yeah. you are a black person, you know the banter slaps, like you know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. um it's it's very I don't know if like systematic systematic, like it's because even on like the healthcare side, there's a lot like there's still a lot to be done to provide appropriate care for black people who are experiencing mental illness. And even amongst like the black community, like within families, there's a lot as well to be done, like just to not be ashamed to get yeah. like your family member help or to not see it as like a devaluing in their character or like their being because these things happened. And the sad thing is only after I was diagnosed did I find out that my dad's sibling also had a mental illness similar to mine and my mom experienced a similar mental illness so like mm. yeah like it could like I could have gotten help earlier <laughs> like I could have explained hey we've experienced this in the families before but yeah yeah it's so to this this book then this pamphlet is like almost like a balm then yeah like, you know a time you know um a space where you finally feel listened to and safe and you know you've got the right support around you um but you you are still interjecting all of those experiences that you've had and you yeah. you know your experiences of having them as a black person and having to navigate the system like that Definitely. Um, yeah i think this book's great i think i really hope that this book is um a, a chance for other people from the black communities to read and, and maybe um want want to try and seek help or speak more to their friends and um yeah. that kind of thing um yeah mate well done like it's it's a lot to go through the mental health system from not knowing anything about your mental health or how it works to then yeah. having i what i call like a grieving period of like I could have done so much, but I didn't do any of those things because of my mental health. Yeah. And now this book, Chosen Family, is now in the next that next phase where you're taking control and you're yeah. healing and you're allowing the world to see how you've been healing. And and I think that yeah. is the most magic part of, about this pamphlet is that, Thank that you. Warmth Thank you. and that open armed you can heal to vibe is yeah. Is definitely yeah like that is the vibe I was going for because I don't think I let there aren't that many people with the diagnosis that I have so there you don't gain like you don't get a lot of like first-time experiences of how other people are coping with this mental illness and I just mm. wanted this book to be out there for if you're experiencing something similar like I've gone through it too like you're not alone and yeah yeah well done congratulations thank you thank you thank you thank you um i'm uh we're, we've reached the end of the episode now but before we go um would you like to um read the introduction to chosen family for our Ooh. listeners who yes. are obviously listening and being like oh i need to know more about this book where can i get this book <laughs> well you, you can get this book from the burning eye website at burningeye.co.uk you can also, and we always recommend this, to go direct to the artist, to Ibizo, um, um, who might get you a signed copy, which would be absolutely fantastic. And if you are around and in London on the 26th, is it? Yes. 
26th March at Matthew's Yard in West Croydon at 5.30. You can go to the launch of Chosen Family and pick up a signed copy there. Pick up one for your friends, your family, your uncle, your aunt, your your health giver, <laughs> your, your own doctor maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, but those are all the places that you, you can definitely pick up the Bezos book. Um, and it's been really, 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 really nice to catch up with you today and... and um, yeah, I'm really excited that this is it's coming out. It's finally here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Bridget. Um, yeah, this has been a really nice podcast. And just talking about the journey of the book, it's like, oh, wow. Like, it's been nice. It's yeah. been nice. Okay, so this is the introduction. It's called Dr. Unicorn. After meeting once a month for the past three years, Dr. Unicorn recommended reading David and Goliath, not the Bible story, but the book by Malcolm Gladwell. It had a chapter about, about those crucial first appearances, about how eyes and logic can be deceiving. Goliath's huge growth spurt and illusion of strength were likely the result of a genetic disease. Although huge and bulky, Goliath was also a bit blind and very slow. Something to do with the protein synthesis in his body. His heavy armor didn't help much. Now David. David, David, David. Seemingly unthreatening and small. Used a slingshot to herd sheep from a young age. Protecting his herd. Cracking the skulls of predators from a distance. An agile, limber, marksman. He intimately knew his weapons the size and shape of stones to pick. I wanted my own narrative to read like that of David. I became obsessed with finding the positive things in the negatives. Seemed to me like God favored David by making him that way. What was I uniquely gifted with? Rewind and play back my life and all the challenging experiences. I found my strength in real people. I had been given something better than David an opportunity to choose my family. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ibizo. Um, uh, yeah, if you're listening at home, don't forget to check out Ibizo's book. Um, it's available everywhere. Um, and uh, I can't wait to see you again in person. I can't wait to see most of you again in person, really. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks so much, mate. It's lovely to chat to you. Thank you. Thanks, babe.